I too brought a show and tell. Now, I saw this contraption one evening while I was going over to Hannah's house for dinner while we were dating. It's a kind of tall wooden cylinder with some dowel rods sticking up and there's a circle at the top and when you push the circle down, it opens. Now I suspect that some of you know what this is. If you know what it is, raise your hand. Okay. All right, maybe a third. Okay. How many of you have no idea what this thing is? Yeah, that's how I felt. <sighs> Until after dinner when Hannah was washing the dishes and she had taken the Ziploc bags that were holding her ingredients and she put them on there like so to dry. This strange contraption, which is not uncomplicated in its mechanism, is solely for the purpose of drying Ziploc bags. And uh, I'm going to be real honest, what I said to her was, wow, that is ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheap, Hannah. What are you doing? Are you rinsing out your Ziploc bag? <laughs> she said to me, why would you only use a Ziploc bag once? And, you know, I thought about it, and I thought, because that's what they're designed to do. Like, the whole purpose of the Ziploc bag is to be disposable so you don't have to worry about it. And she said, well, that seems like kind of a waste of money. And uh, also, it seems like it's kind of not great for the earth. And I didn't have a comeback for that, so I just shut up. Not too long ago, I was visiting my sister-in-law, and she pulled out this bad boy. This is a durable, washable, reusable Ziploc bag. <laughs> so uh, wonders never cease. And um, we Mennonites, we, we like containers, don't we? We're kind of passionate about them. Mason jars, Pyrex, Tupperware, you name it, we love it. Can I get an amen? Yeah, we do. And the question that I was plagued with while we were dating and I was just getting to know Anabaptist was, why? Why are Anabaptists so frugal? Why did Hannah never want to go out to eat for date night? She always wanted to eat in. Why did she insist on not using the dryer and hanging up her clothes on the line during winter when it's cold? Why? Why, when we were getting married, was it really important that we use my tax return as our wedding budget, which was $1,100 at the time? And for any of you who are engaged in the room, $1,100 doesn't go far in the wedding market. In fact, one of our first fights 
significant fights was that um, I wanted to use about a tenth of that budget on our, our you know, favors for our wedding. And Hannah said, you're going to use a tenth of our budget on our wedding favors? People don't even remember those. <laughs> And so that whole process of planning for our wedding was a stripping away for me. Because every single decision that we made all of a sudden was really important because we didn't have a lot to spread around. And so I had to start asking myself over and over and over again with every single decision as we planned, is this important? Does it feel important? If it feels important, why does it feel important? Who's telling me it's important? And that was a really hard process for me. And if I'm going to be really honest, the first seven years I've spent among you learning how to practice faith in an Anabaptist context has been pretty uncomfortable. It's felt like a stripping away. And um, this week as I was preparing, I started to wonder if that was really the best way to think about it as a stripping away, or if perhaps this was more of an invitation into experiencing contentment in life and allowing my life to go grow closer to its own stated purpose. And so I want you to open your bulletins to me because it leads us to our sixth conviction. So for those of you who are guests this morning, we've been walking through a series together on Anabaptist essentials, trying to return to kind of the core fundamental values of our shared faith here. And today, our value is simplicity and justice. Listen to these words. Spirituality and economics are interconnected. In an individualist and consumerist culture and in a world where economic injustice is rife, we are committed to finding ways of living simply, sharing generously, caring for creation, and working toward justice. Take a moment to notice the arc of this particular conviction because it really unfolds in a beautiful way, moving from the personal toward the collective. Living simply, sharing generously, caring for creation, working for justice. It moves outward, right? That's important. Now, when I was preparing for this, Daryl um, made some suggestions. We've already been introduced to them this morning. Anne brought one, but I've got the whole stack of the World Community Cookbooks. 
Um, and he gave me an article that was written by Melinda Elizabeth Berry called The Gifts of Extending the Theological Table. Um, and in that article, Melinda Berry credits the authors of these books, Extending the Table, Simply and Season, this one's my favorite, I gotta confess, and More with Less, kind of the centralized book of the trilogy. And then they have this companion book that you can get called Living More with Less, which uh, Hannah's grandmother graciously lent us so we didn't buy it. <laughs> and in the article, she credits the women who have compiled these books for introducing what she calls a homegrown organic theology. I mean, doesn't that just sound Anabaptist? <laughs> organic, homegrown theology, which she, she defines as this, the study of the nature of God through the ethic of simple living, a social movement that connects the politics of daily living with concern for authentic connection with people rather than things. And these cookbooks have encouraged people for many years to see simplicity not as a restriction, not as a stripping away, but rather as an emancipation. Emancipation from seeing ourselves as the most important consideration, emancipation from seeking satisfaction from material goods, emancipation from a desire for indulgence. And I have to be really honest with you, thinking about preaching this particular sermon to this particular group felt like well, I described it yesterday as if, like, as if the Karate Kid tried to teach Mr. Miyagi, right? Because there are people in this congregation who have really devoted their lives to this practice of simplicity. And if I'm really honest, it's the thing that both has most attracted me to the Anabaptist community it's also the thing that I find most deeply unsettling and convicting and uncomfortable. I grew up in a family that really loves things. We really love aesthetic beauty. That's not to say that Anabaptists don't, but simplistic aesthetic beauty, maybe. I really grew up in a, in a family where Christmas morning looks like you know, a department store threw up, right? <laughs> like lots and lots of boxes under the tree waiting for me. And lots of those boxes filled with things that I didn't need. I grew up in a Christian context where materialism really never got questioned. And in fact, the yearning for materialism rather than being questioned was channeled into a Christian industry. I noticed when looking at the scripture for this morning, 
when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, that there is this kind of homegrown organic theology in the mix here. So when we end of the story, Jesus has accumulated this huge crowd, over 5,000 people around him, and he's healing, and he's teaching about a new and better kingdom, and it's getting to be around supper time. And you know, I find that if we're going to think about justice, a really nice, tactile, easy place to think about it is to think about it around the kitchen table. Bring it down to the ground. And as preachers tend to do, someone has to tap him on the shoulder to let him know, Jesus, it's getting late. <laughs> you might want to send the people home. And Jesus is like, no, no, let's keep them here. You give them something to eat. Now, a lot of... Um, a lot of biblical scholars will articulate that in the Gospel of Luke, the, the disciples are often characterized as a little dopey. Has anyone noticed that? I'm going to butt up against that because I think that the disciples look a lot like me <laughs> in those Gospels. And so when Jesus says, you feed them, I can't imagine a world where I would not have responded the same exact way. <laughs> like, did you see how many people were here? How are we, where, we didn't bring food. Do you want us to go out and buy food for over 5,000 people? Because like, we left our jobs for this. Where do you think we're gonna get this food? And they make comment that they have five loaves and bread, uh, sorry, five loaves of bread and two fishes among them. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and had them sit down. Now notice Jesus is inviting people into a more intimate, personal way of being together. Can you just imagine? Like, this is often the critique that gets used against mega churches, right? Like, it's too big. How are you going to get to know anybody, right? So what Jesus does is he breaks this huge crowd up into groups of 50. You can imagine them kind of sitting down next to one another, maybe exchanging a name or two, asking some personal questions. And then, taking the five loaves of bread and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and all ate and were filled. And what was left over was gathered up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, we can learn a little something from our brothers and sisters who practice a thing called liberation theology from this story. And liberation theology is again the study of the nature of God, but it engages deeply the perspective of those who are oppressed. They say, if you want to know what's going on in the world, you have to talk to people at the bottom rung. Right? You can't ask the people who are in privilege. And liberation theologists notice a few things about this story. They would ask us some questions. What was the miracle? 
Were the loaves supernaturally multiplied? Was that it? Was that the miracle? Was Jesus kind of doing a magic trick and multiplying food? Or could it possibly be that when the crowd broke up and got to know one another a little bit, they found that they had enough food among them to share? I don't know the answer to that question. And I'm certainly not here to question whether or not God can feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread. But I do think that those questions can be important when we're thinking about simplicity and justice. It's funny, as we're working through this series, Maria and I are working with the youth through the book, The Irresistible Revolution. And this was not planned, but pretty much chapter by chapter has been on the same subject material as the Naked Anabaptist. So when I was paging through for this week, one of the headings in our book was the complexity of simplicity. as if it wasn't hard enough. <laughs> and in the book, Shane Claiborne says, you know, there are many progressive liberals who have taught me that we can live lives of discipline, sim living simplicity, and still be distant from the poor. He says, what's just as important about what you eat is who you're eating with. And in his book, Stewart says, the sharing of resources is not to be all in one direction, which so often leads to dependency and disempowerment, nor does, nor does this take place at an arm's length or in an impersonal way. So the question isn't necessarily, how do we be content with less? It's still a hard question, and I'm still struggling with it. But rather, can we embrace the simplicity that we feel called to so that we are oriented toward the work of justice? So that we are oriented to all people being fed at the kitchen table? And can we do it in a way that doesn't create distance between the people that we think should be fed? And I have to say, that's a really hard gap. I think a lot of us have gotten pretty good at being content. I've gotten pretty good about recycling and reusing things and taking care of the earth. We can grow, we can do better. But this orientation toward justice, that's a little bit of a harder rub because we've discovered ways to create that distance, haven't we? You know, if we know someone is working with someone on the margins, we might be tempted rather than to go to the person on the margins themselves, but to go to the person we see helping them and say, gosh, you know, I've been thinking about that person. How are they doing? Isn't that a comfortable distance? And in fact, Shane noticed that one way that the church, even those pursuing simplicity, have become complicit in the values of the larger world 
is that it's really easy for this place that we share to become a brokerage of goods and service rather than community. I just want to read you a quote from his book. When the church becomes a place of brokerage rather than an organic community, she ceases to be alive. She, the church, becomes a distribution center, a place where poor can come to get stuff and the rich can come to dump stuff. Both go away satisfied. The rich feel good, the poor get clothed and fed, but no one leaves transformed. No radical new community is formed. And Jesus did not set up a program, but modeled a way of living that incarnated the reign of God. A community in which people are reconciled and our debts are forgiven just as we forgive our debtors, all economic words. That reign did not spread through organizational establishments or structural systems. It spread like disease, through touch through breath, through life. It spread through people infected by love. It can be really easy when we look at the Acts Church to think like, man, we're doing this pretty good. We got a list serve. You can email people and you can get whatever you need. One Sunday I got five punch bowls <laughs> because I forgot to send the follow-up email that I had found one. But people were on it. They were ready to share their goods. But that's not actually what we see in Acts. They sold their goods and they lived in common. And so while we're on the road and I think that the Anabaptist vision is unique and it's powerful and it has been transformational and challenging, that orientation toward justice where we're living in common and all are fed and there is enough among us to go around and not just for the people we prefer. There's a big arc, there's a big journey and it's a beautiful journey to walk together. So last two weeks ago, Todd introduced five V words, well five and a half V words, right? The last one was versatile, but he had a different word that he preferred. Does anyone remember what it is? He said that the church will have to learn to be nimble. And I was really struck by this as I was thinking about simplicity and justice. That he was sensing that we're entering a time where we're gonna have to pack light and that the simplicity isn't just gonna be about learning to be content with little, but I think that we're on the precipice of a time in our national context where that nimbleness is gonna be required for the purpose of justice. And we're gonna to have to hold each other together in that. And I'm gonna need your help because I still am wrestling with the things. But I think we can help each other. And I'm excited to do that together. Amen.